Welcome back to another edition of the Friday Podcast. This week, I am joined by Kevin Van Valkenburg of ESPN. Kevin and I did something a little bit different this week. We took on the make-believe role of golf czar, where each of us were co-chairs of the position and came up with five ideas to change golf. It was fun, a little bit different format, and uh, on top of that, we discussed what's been going on the tour uh, this season, last week at uh, RBC, and then we looked ahead to next week's PGA Championship at Bell Reve. Hope you guys enjoy the conversation with Kevin. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Did you watch last week? Uh, I only watched little bits of it as I was uh, traveling for vacation stuff. So I can only comment vaguely and generally about DJ and such. Yeah, I think that's all that the takeaway from last week was, is that yeah. you know, DJ is really good at golf. Yeah, yeah. And it's hard to be really good every week. So like he does it better than most. And that's still, even if you only have one major, like that's okay. That still means you're really good at golf. Yeah, when he, uh, I mean, he's. It's funny because he's what thirty four now. Yeah. That? So thirty four. He's say he's got ten more years in front of him. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're going to be talking about probably close to forty wins. Yeah. Um, probably another major or two. You would think, yeah, at least one major. I would think, yeah, he could. He's probably. Uh, you know, even pick to win the PGA next week. Yeah, that golf course is going to fit him really well. Yes. I think, think we're going to see see a bomber heavy board next week. Yeah. But uh, I mean, you're starting to get into the uh, top maybe twenty golfers of all time, top thirty. Yeah. What is uh What does DJ need to do to get into the top, uh, say, top twenty golfers of all time? Does he win? Would he need to win? If he wins no more majors, but wins like forty, has forty wins, probably got to make a pretty good case that he he is, regardless of the lack of majors. Yeah, he's got all those WGCs, which I think mm-hmm. value are, are are pretty good value, you know, in terms of wins. I think uh, I think two majors though is kind of like a it's got you have to have two majors. I think yeah. there's I think there's sixty guys that have won two majors. Hmm. That's yeah. And, uh, so like, I think, I think having two majors is like really big. I mean, Zach Johnson's got two. Yes, he does. It's he's a, he's another interesting guy when it comes to career. You know, is he a hall of famer? I think he is. I don't see how you can't put him in the hall of fame. I mean, there's, I mean, look, he's going to get into the hall of fame. I think regardless of whether he, we really feel like he is a hall of famer. But I kind of feel like he is a Hall of Famer. Like that's, you know, some of it might be you've over uh, achieved your talent. But I mean, two majors on two iconic courses. He's got what, like 14, 13 wins somewhere in there. 
Am I am I overstating that? I think that's about right. Yeah. How do you uh, how do you count worldwide wins versus PGA Tour wins? Mm. I mean, I know how Gary Player counts them. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much anything with like four guys throwing money in a pot is a is a win. But uh, yeah, I would say it depends on the the field, right? I mean, you got to have like at least you know. At least some, I would say, what, like 25 other, like, uh, top 400 players or something for it to really count? I mean, you're otherwise, like, who are you beating? You know, in some of these Euro events where, you know, the highest ranked player is 16th and the next highest ranked player is like 75th, like, what, you know, how is that? How is that a, a same quality of win as, you know, Bridgestone or Arnold Palmer or something like that? It's almost like there needs to be like a waiting because, but yes. I mean, a win is, is so, I mean, where would my boy Westy be if you waited like runner ups <laughs> and majors? Are we still on the way? I know that you feel that Els is better than Mixon career wise, but can we make the, are you going to, are you willing to stand up and make the case that Westy had a better career than Mixon or is that no, just too, no, too that's, much? It's too much. I think, uh, I, I, Westy was like is gonna be I I you know what I love about Westy is like he legit lost his game yeah you know, like he it was gone for like three years I always I like guys that like lose their game okay and come yeah. back I think it's just it shows a little bit more grit you know and like I don't know so many of these guys end up getting onto her at age twenty three now or twenty two mm-hmm. and it's like you know seeing people go through struggles like is mm-hmm. that's part of the journey as a golfer i kind of think Absolutely. and i i it it's why i think sometimes like the best players are the most boring players that is correct yes that's what i think tiger's more compelling now than he was at the height like i, I don't know uh for me that's just my personal feeling and i've always felt like to me he was much more relatable and rootable at this at this inevitable kind of comeback and so that's the guy i've always been wanting to sort of root for like i don't know that i could say that i wanted tiger to win back when he was awesome but now i definitely like want him to win and yeah obviously like a lot of that's my personal bias but i'm i'm totally like in on this tiger comeback i feel like he's a human for like the first time in his career Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Like hugging, crying with his kids, and telling him, "Like, yeah, I just try my best." Like that never would have happened. The, to me, the most human moment of his career is when he hugged Stevie after the, the Open Championship uh, at Hoylake, and just was, you know, completely laid bare, like thinking about his dad. Yeah, I think that was Hoylake, right? Yeah, I think my, that was Hoylake. I, I didn't hug Solly after he and I played Hoylake, and I shot like eighty four. 86 maybe i did not that wasn't a crying moment for me but you, you know the rotting was different they, would, they didn't have the 18th hole like it was when rory won it either so the grandstands weren't up either so <laughs> that's right yeah i mean that's a pretty key moment to have the grandstands up the uh tiger i mean the the downside of him being a human is like you know robot tiger of the mid 2000s wouldn't have would have won that that tournament a couple of weeks That's ago right. at Carnoustie. Like, it would have been game over as soon oh, as yeah. he hit the back nine. Yes. Like, Human Tiger has has issues that he has to mm-hmm. get over. 
That's true, but that's what makes him more awesome. Like, you know, I, th- I really feel like the most Tiger Major of all time is going to come, like, in the next three, four years when he turns, like, and uh, puts up a 30 on the back nine at Augusta and just snatches one from, I don't know, someone who you think is just running away with it. It's a little bit crazy that this golf season's, like, almost over. Yes, it truly is. Imagine how it'll feel when the PGA is moved up and after the British were like, oh, well, what is there to look forward to? It's, I'm curious your take on, on PGA in May. Do you think it's better? Uh, I mean, it, it'll bring different courses into play, right? And that's a good thing. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I just feel like the PGA has no identity. Like I, everybody who's trudging out St. Louis, myself included, is like, really? Like, why are we going to this course and what is what does anyone care i mean I, to me like you just if you win a pga it's worth like you know 0.75 other majors and so i guess maybe moving it up into the middle of the season makes it sort of a better part of the narrative as opposed to sort of like oh the afterthought other major but i don't know what's your take i i think it's i mean i think like uh Jay Monahan, this might go down in his career as like the greatest move, the greatest wow. like robbery of all time. Okay. Because August, there's like nothing going on. Yeah. Like the PGA has like I think it's almost done well for what it is because of its date in August. And you go to yeah. May, like if it's on the West Coast, and I I'm like a a NBA basketball nut. Mm-hmm. Like. I'd much rather watch like the finals of the NBA. Mm-hmm. Like you, you know you're you're butting into like conference finals. Like why would you go into contend against the NHL and the NBA? Yeah. In May versus in in you know the other thing about May is like most of the the country is just getting into golf season. Yeah. That's so, true. So I think you're just it's just a it's a it's a bad deal for the PGA. I don't know how they got them, convinced them to do it, but yeah. Uh, and then you know the European tours got to be doing backflips. Yeah, I, mean, I was trying to think like what's the most memorable PGA in your lifetime? Bob May. Yeah, that's it. But other than that, like you know, does anybody really remember even like I don't know, like Mickelson at Baltusrol or like Tiger at um. You know, when he beat Paul Casey, what was that, that uh, Medina? Was, like, yeah. Just boring. Like, well, nothing. The Sergio Tiger one was pretty good. Yeah. That was probably, that probably is up there too. But other than that, like, I don't know. It just, I hope, hopefully, this will make it, you know, it, it makes it very easily that someone could get hot uh, and win the Masters and the PGA in that quick stretch. And then all of a sudden, like, it seems more fun that the grand slam is in play or somebody's like on a roll for having a huge season like i'm in on that it does put it in four straight months which is kind of cool yeah Yeah. but uh most most seasons of other sports are just in a four-month window right you you don't remember when rory you know fended off david lynn for the title at (laughs) kiowa (laughs) that is one of my least memorable pgas i will say yes i mean david lynn David Lynn and uh, wasn't uh, 
Carl Patterson was like third in that. Hot Carl Patterson was third. <laughs> there was there was four uh, four Englishmen in the top uh, in the top three, I guess. I mean, I feel like that's one of those Tiger majors that no one talks about, where he was sort of in it and then just completely like didn't wasn't a factor in the end because he was like midway through, right? He was only like a couple shots off the lead. Like if yeah. you, I remember watching some of like that and he was sort of kind of a factor and then Rory just completely blew the vaporized field. But that's like when he, you know, people always talk about tigers majors about how like they, none of them existed after 2008, but he was like in contention in a lot of like Royal St. George's and like, you know, the Olympic field, Olympia fields. And there's a bunch of tiger majors that when we talk about Carnegie, like he probably should have won. Southern Hill. Like, at least, yeah, a couple of those other ones that he just it wasn't even he kind of just completely faded out of it. Yeah, as uh, so Rory, Rory that year went sixty-seven, seventy-five, sixty-seven, sixty-six. <laughs> like, I mean, he had he shot seventy-five and still won by uh, seventy-five and around, still won by eight. <laughs> that might be the most Rory major of all time, actually. Now that I think about it. I I mean it's kind of I it's kind of crazy. He, that's that's something that I'm kind of perplexed by. Mm-hmm. It's just is is Rory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you know I spent like a year sort of trying to write a piece about him. Like after it was after 2014, and it was actually like a lot more of an interesting year um, in terms of. I think it was I followed him around for 15, and then like dropped a piece like at the beginning of 16, like in the masters and essentially the, the thesis of it was like, Rory doesn't really know what he wants. And I, in terms of like, does he want to have Tiger's career? Does he want to have Mickelson's career? Does he want to have like his normal life? And I think like, I think for a while he really, I, I, I still don't know. Like if, if we've figured that out, like, I think he definitely wants a more normal life and it's clear like he didn't want to, basically like alienate everyone around him and have no close friends and be obsessed with pursuit of greatness like tiger. But I'm still not sure exactly if he's figured out like, you know, does he, how great does he sort of want to be or like it, does that even, is that even like just silly sports, amateur psychoanalysis and that he's trying really, really hard to be great. And just because he's not winning, it allows people like me to be like, Oh, you just don't want it enough, which is silly. I don't know. It's a great question. Well, he also has like the, there's like a blessing and a curse of being the first superstar in the yeah. sport post Tiger. Yeah. And with that came like, he's the first superstar that's dealt with like Tiger riches. That's not yeah. Tiger. That's true. You know, and that, I think the money thing is like a big thing. Cause I mean, what was he 19 when he had that Emirates deal? I mean, he's been getting crazy endorsement money since, you know, a really young age. And then Mm -hmm. you go and you factor in just like, I just, I mean, it's hard to be really good at golf for a really long time. Yes. And and it's like, there's so much time you have to put in to improve and Mm -hmm. everybody's gotten better at golf. Like the level of play has certainly gotten better. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of factors with that, that, that go into it. But like, Part of that is like, it's just really hard to get better once you reach higher levels of golf. Yeah. No, yeah. and it's like you, everyone has a kind of a window where they're like truly great. And the, I think Rory's even pointed this out a couple of times. Like, 
most guys win all their majors in like a eight, nine year period. And, you know, maybe Rory sort of had his, like, I mean, when you know, is Rory's career that much dramatically different than Tom Watson's other than the fact that there, there wasn't as many talented people around, uh, you know, when Watson was winning his eight majors or whatever. Like I always thought that that was Rory's kind of, benchmark because like watson's career or you know that you know six seven eight majors like that that would be an enormous amount in today's game and i don't know if he's gonna get there it's it's quite fascinating i uh just looking what the thing i think that majors it's it's crazy because i think the depth of great players is a little bit higher like we were just talking about with like Mm -hmm. there's more like the level of play has increased is -hmm. that winning a major is so much harder but like that's just the way people are evaluated like yep. would dj go home with say he doesn't win again this year three wins mm-hmm. was this year a disappointment because he didn't get a major yeah like and then you could say this exact same thing like rattling down the top 10 like if spieth doesn't win a major is this year a disappointment i like yep. think this year obviously hasn't been great for spieth um you know, and yet he's contended in two majors. Like I was thinking that exact same thing earlier this year. Like, would you like overrated or underrated Spieth's entire season? Like, would you would he trade it for you know a previous year where he might have had three wins but didn't contend in a major? It's a it's a good question. I mean, he could have won two majors this year. Yeah, and yet he's had like a pretty bl- bad season for his standards. What about Ricky? <sighs> Man. Rick to me is like the biggest conundrum in the whole thing. Like I have, I've rode for Rick for a while, and then I've been like critical of him, and then I sort of got back on it. I really thought that like Carnoustie was going to be his major, and he just was never really a factor. I just thought, you know, he's creative. He can. He's a great wind player. He's a, especially a pretty good putter on flat greens. I don't know why it wasn't there for him. It's it's uh, he's a fascinating case study. Just yeah. I mean, the consistency level of, of his play throughout like the last, I don't know, five years has been out of this world good. You mm-hmm. know, like very few players, you know, he's a he's been a top 10 player despite not winning a lot. And that doesn't really happen. You know, if yep. you look at like the top 10 in the world, they win a lot and he doesn't win a lot. It's true. It's, I sort of said at, at the U.S. Open last year, at some point, like... If you're a generationally great, generationally great player, you got to win a couple of these, like you know, one or two. Like you know, as we said, Zach Johnson's got two majors. Ricky, Ricky is a way more talented player than Zach Johnson, uh, and so you know, at some point, doesn't you, know, you have to kind of say like, okay, like if if unless if we agree that sports is not played on a spreadsheet or in a computer, at some point, your inability to shoot like a good round. In on a Sunday when you're in contention at a major and win it is sort of a knock on you. And you know what? He shot a great round in the Masters this year, and Patrick Reed, you know, just barely hung on. So, like, I kind of feel like I often with him, I'm arguing out of both sides of my mouth. Like, it's a little bit of circumstantial bias, right? Like, so I'm saying he's, he should do this, and then the Masters, he did kind of do it, and he still didn't win. So, but at some point over over time, all those things add up. Aren't you ever like, hey, when is this going to work out for you? I don't know. That's a hard answer. 
to me, Rick's majors, like it always comes down to one moment. Like I, mm-hmm. like I can't get over, like he made a triple last year in the first round at Coil Hollow. Cause he like tried uh-huh. to hit a absurd shot out of a fairway bunker mm-hmm. and like nobody wins majors with triples, but at the masters this year, it was that second shot on 13. Yeah. Where like it, it, you, I was looking at this. I'm like, what is he doing before he hit it? And then he hits it right in the water. And it's like, why, why did he do that? Like you just lay up and make, you know, like you're probably from there, your average score, if he had just laid up was like four, three, you know? Yeah. And he yeah. might've made a three if he yeah. hit a miraculous shot from, from where he was. But the, you know, the percentages were probably just about the same. And it, and it, and that's the thing about majors is it comes down to like, a bounce here or a, a, you know, a putt dropping there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. That's what always, I, it always sticks with, like, I think you can almost go through every major Ricky's been close at yeah. and you find one hole where it's just like, what, what were you doing here? I think you look, I, I often think about that very thing when we think about like Nicholas's career. And if you, you know, when they put up all those old masters online, it was sort of really fascinating to watch like how conservative Nicholas played, but that was just who he was. Like he was just gonna basically like make other guys make mistakes, just wear them down and never do a truly dumb thing that lost him a tournament. And you could say, well, maybe if Nicholas played like Arnold Palmer his whole career, he might've won 20 majors or 25 majors but he also might have won 13 or 11 like if he had just been aggressive and dumb all the time and so like over time it's like staying on 18 in blackjack right like if you never hit on that number you're going to win a lot of hands and you might lose some too but you might as well just keep playing it out because and that's why Nichols basically didn't finish out of the top 10 in a major for you know what 10 years almost because he was so good and he just never threw away a tournament. And that's like the thing at, at Augusta too, is like when you go hunting for the, the score is when it gets yep. you. And if you just, I feel like if you just take care of business out there, almost, you know, there are a lot of hard holes, harder holes now, but like at the same time, like, you know, if you hit, if you take care of business on the par fives, like you're already like three under to start mm-hmm. the round, you know, if you say you birdie three out of the four of them. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, and that's a pretty feasible thing to do. And totally. it's like, all right, well, like, let's just take care of business the rest of the way and not do anything really dumb. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's way easier to say that than do it in a tournament for sure. <laughs> so, totally. hey, for, uh, we're, we're going to do a uh, little something different. We're going to do a uh, little, uh, if, if, if each of us became co-golf czar of the world the world i love it yeah and we we get to just we're this is our initial meeting about what we're gonna do and we each come with come with five ideas you know what are the five so we'll just alternate back and forth one idea one idea what's the uh what's the first thing you do first thing i do okay so i've been thinking about this for a while and i've said some of this before publicly but I'm, i'm ready to formulate my own argument entirely i think if i was a golf czar and i like could make any one decision that I thought was realistic, it would be that the masters should have its own ball. And so you show up there, you can have a low spin version, you can have a high spin version, 
And then each one of those, maybe you can have a firm or soft version, but that's it. Like Fred Ridley has to hand you your, you know, three sleeves of golf balls when you show up for practice round or whatever. And that's it. That's all you're allowed to play with. And that like, because the masters, the Augusta is the only place in golf that could basically say, you know what? We don't care. We don't care if you, if there's backlash, we don't care if the equipment companies pout. We don't care if you sit out the tournament and say, I, I can't play unless I get to have my ball. This is how it's going to be from now on. And if you pass on it, uh, we'll bump the next guy up on the list. Guess what? We're taking another guy to make our field of 90. And that might be the one thing that would sort of slowly over time rein in the game without a dramatic, like, huge car crash of a change. Because they obviously the Masters proved, like, we don't care if you protest the tournament. We don't care if you pull all the ads. We're just going to broadcast an entire thing without any ads. Like, we don't care if, you know, there's tons of people who want tickets every year and can't get them. That all sort of fits in with the ethos of the place. And then you could get back the course in some ways that, you know, Jones and McKenzie originally wanted to have. You could put tees in different places. You could not have to buy up millions of acres of land from the country club next door like you can have your tournament back the way you want it and maybe some skill is sort of you know returned to the tournament or at least like some realistic you know like a guy like dj still gonna hit it farther than everybody a guy like rory is still gonna hit it farther than everybody but you don't have to have 530 yard par fours anymore if you don't want to that they still hit wedge into yes correct <laughs> guys are gonna be hitting you know, seven, eight irons at least. It's because I think, I think it's a little bit strange that whenever we talk about like reeling in distance, we never talk about clubs. We only talk about the ball. Like we got to roll back the ball. But I also think that, you know, in part because the ball is the one thing where one sort of tournament could say, yep, this is what you're going to do. We're going to take, you're going to take our ball. And then if that's the case, then, you know, Nichols might say, you know what, at the memorial, we're also going to play like the version of the ball that I want or, you know, the Arnold Palmer Invitational or, you know, some of the invite courses or like the invite tournaments say, yeah, we love that idea. And we love that Augusta took a stand. We can't afford to keep extending our courses so that, you know, I mean, guys, Aaron Wise can hit it 420 yards and hit wedge into every hole. So we're going to basically say, this is what it is. And that would maybe change the tide eventually in the game. You know, I, uh, my first thing as as Kozar was uh, rollback equipment. There you go. Um, I d- I think that I think it's kind of almost a myth. Like I I I don't think equipment makes bad golfers better. Yeah. Like I I think that's like the biggest myth in the world. I think that like what it does. Like I play enough with like my buddies who are beginners. Like if you if if you hit it like the way the technology is, it doesn't really spin that much. So they just hit it further offline. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I just don't think it's, it, it makes like, I think playing like older equipment, one of the things that it did was like, if you hit a bad shot, the ball got on the ground and rolled, mm-hmm. you know, versus like today's just flies forever offline. And I, I, so that would be, that'd be mine. And I, obviously going with the ball is, is the popular thing. But I think that like, 
I think it's it's the whole thing. Like I think it it like fundamentals of golf have changed. I, I've talked with some buddies recently. It's like so my age of golfer. I'm 32, and mm-hmm. like who's the greatest golfer that between the age of 30 and 35 in the world? Oh man, like is Justin Rose under 35? I, no, I don't he's know. like 38. So it's okay. like it's like Webb Simpson. Yeah. Okay. And like, I have this whole theory is like, we were the generation that, that grew up, like I grew up playing with professionals and like small heads. Like when I was in a freshman in high school, I think I hit the ball like 220 yards. And now like in AM events, I play with freshmen in high school that hit it like 300 and like their swings have changed fundamentally, like because of equipment, like, so my generation had to learn a new golf swing essentially like Mm -hmm. midway through our, our career. And like the older guys, like, you know, your roses and, and Sergio Stenson, they like already were established, but then this young crop, like the kids four years younger than my generation were just better. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. But like, I think that equipment is like, if you took, if, if no new equipment was made tomorrow, like we, we no new equipment's going to be made except for mm-hmm. like balls. Yeah. The, the game would be perfectly fine. Yeah. Like there's, there's no need. It's just like an add on to the, to the game. And mm-hmm. if you take away all the money that people spend on equipment, you know what they're going to spend their money on is like lessons and yeah. traveling to play golf. Yeah. So it, it's, it's to me to think like about the margins that equipment companies or ball companies are chasing. Like if you're, at this point, the rules are sort of, you know, set. I mean, remember, like, we were talking when we were sort of coming up, the idea of, like, a 460cc driver seemed absurd. But as soon as, like, drivers couldn't get any bigger, then it had to be like, oh, we're moving the weights to the back of it. Or, no, we're, like, distributing the energy with this, you know, jailbreak technology. Or we're doing this. I'm like, at some point those kind of things that you're able to do within the rules and like not having a trampoline effect on the ball kind of max out. You're chasing like a half a yard or something here and there in terms of, I guess, distance. And so that's why you see, you know, like, Hey, it's a new set of irons that essentially a seven iron is playing at what us, you know, four iron was playing 10 years ago. Like, and in terms of its loft. And I don't think, I don't understand how that's sustainable. Like 10 years from now, what is the what are the equipment companies going to be saying to kind of like this is to market to you to get make you better? Well, it's like when one of your biggest problems as a sport is the expense of the sport. Like when yeah. you talk about it, it's like one of the biggest barriers to entry for golf. Like mm-hmm. why? Like and then but like what it, the equipment industry does is it it makes people feel like they need to buy yeah. this new five hundred dollar driver. Like that is what contributes to the expense of the sport. Totally. I have a group of buddies that we have a golf tournament every year we play and like every year, every year, everybody was like, well, should we buy a new driver this year? And it's, it's the point where you, you know, it's silly. Like, how is that helping guys who are literally at best, like a 16 handicap upgrade from one driver to the next? It's just not. Yeah. It's, that's like what, and and think about if you spent that money, if that, like 16 handicaps spent the money that they spent on equipment on lessons like they would be better you know and like 
that would actually make up like, you know, I know pros always are like, well, if you take away equipment sales, like it's going to kill my shop. But like, if you take away equipment sales, you're going to do, you're going to, people are going to take more lessons. Yeah. So you're going to make it up that way. I do think there is like a, a desire for the quick fix in the sense of like, Oh, this, this driver is going to make me finally good. I don't have to put in the hours of like, I've taken a bunch of lessons this year and it's hard to like remake your swing. It's hard to really grind over, you know, so many people who are golfers like me, like I'm a nine, they're still essentially like closing the club face with their hands, like hitting a flip. And so for me, like learning how to square my body at impact has been sort of frustrating experience. Whereas, but now like I'm better than I was in January but there was definitely weeks where I was like, I'm just lost, man. I just totally lost. And I think that getting past that version of feeling lost is a hard thing for some people. And so that's why they look for other answers and, and just like, oh, this, I hit this, you know, this iron today that was essentially like flew 10 yards further. That must be the answer. And I'm happy to pay the extra, you know, $800 for these set of irons if one day it feels great. Hey, you know, Bryson taught the world that everybody feels lost some days. <laughs> uh, all right. What's your number two? My number two would be, you know, I would, uh, I'd, I'd abolish the PGA tour and European tour and make a world tour. Ooh, I love it. I just, I, I think that it's too confusing. I think that like by central centralizing the professional golf world, like you could have more flow up and down and mm -hmm. just make like really premier events. Like I, I, I can't stand WGCs. They're like my least favorite tour, tour mm -hmm. events because like, you know, they're, they, what they should be and what they are is like a disgrace, you know? <laughs> I love it. It's, it. So I would have like, you got your majors, right? Uh -huh. you keep the majors, put them over yes. here. Right. Yeah. But then like, why not have like a premier national open rotation where yeah. you play, you know, the Irish open, the Scottish open, the Australian open, the J Japan open, South African open and Canadian open. Like, you know, take kind of the most golf rich countries and put yeah. those countries as like your premier side events. And then you have a, a American world tour schedule and say it's the top, say the top 300 people qualify for this tour that goes all year round. There's no off season anyways. And then from there you have a secondary U S and world, uh, tour that feeds into this top tour. But like, you know, like I think about like that guy, uh, who is it? Dan McCarthy a couple of years ago that won like four straight events on the Canadian tour. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and then, you know, he got a thumb injury. He had to just sit down there and play these Canadian tour events all year. He got a thumb injury right when he gets on the web the next year. And, like, he was out for almost the entire year. Like, that guy really got screwed by the system. Because yeah. you can't tell me he, he, he was winning Canadian tour events by seven, eight shots. Like, yeah. he should have gotten bumped up. Yeah. And is, in that respect, is the LPGA more of a, a true world tour? Yeah. Yeah, it is. I think it, in it, it shows like you, I mean, I just think with the way modern travel has eased the need, like the struggle of having a world tour so mm -hmm. much, you know? I mean, there's so many good courses around the world that never, we don't like, unless you're kind of a, a psycho, like we are, you know, most people don't know about, and yeah. it would be so much fun to see those courses featured, you know? 
And think about how much, like how good it is for the game of golf to have the best war- players in the world visiting these countries, mm-hmm. you know, and like people could throw in like all of a sudden, you know, people could throw in like, Hey, I'm going to go play the New Zealand open this year. Cause like mm-hmm. it's at Terry or, you know, I doubt it would be there, but like, you know, somewhere really cool. Like, um, I think like it would just, and like, I think it would just work in today's day and age. Like it's, it's time, like, and especially I figure with all the contracts, I'm not getting this thing. This thing's not happening until 2030. Yeah. But that's the way I would do it is I would, I would push that and I would, you know, I would make these events really great, great courses. And then I would have like a much more fluid, you know, kind of way of players coming in and out and who qualifies for like the premier events, who's not in, you know, you got to work your way in, you can fall out. I think that would be, you know, much more, you know, it would, it would, I would come up with the system, some way of, of having a ranking, which deems what tournaments you get into. I like it. And that way too, like if you say you win in Australia, you get it like an exemption on the tour or whatever for a year. Like, it's not just like, oh, it doesn't matter. Like the idea that like when Jordan Spieth won the Australian Open on a good course, that it was like not even counted as like a win for him that year. To yeah. me, is sort of silly. Like that was a good field, and he won a prestigious tournament. And it was like the beginning of Spieth becoming a truly like good player. It was post the Masters where he didn't uh, he didn't win it uh, when he and Bubba sort of went toe to toe, and that was like the moment that Spieth. And that in the sort of grander scheme of things, it's almost like that win counts for nothing. But that was kind of an important thing. I like I like this idea. I mean, yeah, it's like the same thing with Harold Varner. He won that Australian PGA. And it was mm-hmm. a really good field, you know, yeah. and it, it goes back to that problem we had with worldwide wins, you know, yes. like, how do you count them? Like now we know because everybody's on the same tour, you know, we well, know how strong that field was yeah. because like, who knows how good, how good is Yuta Ikeda in, in Japan? Yeah. He's probably pretty good, but yeah. he's not as good in America because he just, it seems like the transition is tough for him. Well, and there's such a huge golf market in Asia, like, why not have, you know, more like on, on two events or something every year, like the Japan National Open or the South Korea National Open, like those should be like events where a lot of guys are are in it and and sort of contending for that because that's where the game is sort of booming now. And, you know, any getting a huge field that has Tiger and Phil and Rory and stuff like that would be totally beneficial for the game. And then rewarding them for going that far and saying like, yeah, this is, this counts as an official win. This counts as, you know, towards your lifetime exemption status. Like all that would be good for the game. Yeah. And instead of having like 60 events in the U S there's 20. Right. And then there's more across the world with better players. Like all of a sudden, like the, the 70th ranked player in the world is playing, you know, really an interesting schedule where like Billy Horschel isn't really a big draw in America, but he right. he would probably be a huge draw in Japan. Yeah. So that's my, what's what's your number two? Okay. So similarly, um, maybe this is a little bit close to my first, but the watching you and ZB like play around the states with Hickory Clubs made me feel like I would love it if there was like a tournament that was like a Hickory Club challenge at like an iconic course, like. National Golf Links or, you know, or Katie Buffs or something where a course that we don't see every year where we truly get to see 
like the the skill of the players compared to you know how the golf game was like 150 years ago. So you you can make the best hickory clubs you want, or whatever, and you roll them out. And say you limit the field, you know, because you're going to play one of these courses where you can't have like you know, huge grandstands, or whatever. So say it's like it has the more feel of like a an amateur tournament. So you limit the the crowds to like 5,000 people a day. It's like a lottery, and then you just see like how good these guys are with clubs that you know the old Tom Morris's of the world played with. I would be super in on that, and I think it would be if it was only one thing a year. It would be fun. You get everyone mic'd up, make it into like a really sort of social, fun thing. Like encourage the guys to dress kind of old school, whatever. Totally like enjoyable thing. And we'd get to see courses that we just that are totally like mysteries to ninety percent of the country. It, it would be amazing. It would you know like that's it. That would be a great idea. I think in general, like one of my points I didn't make with the world tour is like more variety in the events. Mm-hmm. Like I want to see different stuff. I want to see yes. a seven club tournament. Yes. Like, why don't? Why doesn't that exist? It, it, there's just so many tournaments that are begging for an identity. That you know, the, the idea that you know Memphis changed or whatever and went to the sort of team format gave them an identity that they totally didn't have. And so I would think that more uh, tournaments that are struggling, like you know, when Houston is like begging for a spot so that we can see guys come out on a boring course and shoot 16 under. How is that compelling? Like long term? like it was so much better that the Byron Nelson moved to a course that was just dramatically different this year. And so how do we do that with some of the other tournaments that, that are struggling? Like, I don't know, make it a, you know, a, make a full, full tournament field with, you know, hundred people, where half are women and half are men and they have to, you have to team up with a partner. Like instead of it do being like a, you know, 10, whatever that, that tournament they play with Stableford and like, you know, Lexi Thompson involved, like make that into like a full tournament thing. That's totally fun. Like that would, that would make people, some people might be like, oh, I'm not watching this. I don't care. But some people are like, Oh yeah, I love this alternate shot with like Mickelson and, and Kari Webb, like I'm versus tiger and, and Lexi Thompson. I'm in on this. It's it the the lack of variety in like the golf world. Like I I use this analogy a lot for municipal golf is like you know where like if you if I looked at Chicago municipal golf like it's essentially like everything's exactly the same. So like I come to you, hey, I want to build this golf course, and I'm gonna you know or like hey, I want to build this donut shop, and I'm gonna do it exactly like Dunkin' Donuts does theirs. But mm-hmm. it's like, that's a horrible business idea that would yeah. never get passed. But like the same thing with tournaments, like, hey, um, so we want to have a tournament in uh, in Houston and we're going to do it exactly the same <laughs> as every other tournament. And mm-hmm. I think we're just going to it's going to do really well because, you know, we're Houston. Yeah, it's like that's not a that no, no, like no entrepreneur would approach like hosting a their own tournament that way yeah it's um so i i agree with the hickory thing that would be really cool what do you who got who would for- complain the most about the hickory club challenge or who would be who would excel the most about the hickory club challenge that's what i would love to see i think it would you would see obviously i think i think rory would be so good yeah as a hickory player yeah um i actually think the ball strikers would do really well because i think 
it's so much harder to hit the ball well all the time with with uh with hickories jason day is walking off the course in the hickory club challenge isn't he at some point <laughs> like it just did frustration i'm like i, I can't do it mike this is terrible <laughs> i uh yeah i could see well see what would happen and and we saw it with trinity is people just wouldn't show up which is yeah. the sad thing because like i think i equate it to um uh, like if you told a if you ran a company with a bunch of salespeople, like mm-hmm. if you said, Hey, we're changing your comp structure, you could be mm-hmm. giving them like the best deal ever. And they mm-hmm. would still like immediately be like, wait, what, what, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> they <laughs> do. They crave, I mean, athletes crave normalcy and they crave that's, I think that the, I mean, I'm a certainly like pro labor sort of person, but I also think that like in golf, like because they're all independent contractors and because golf needs them, labor is so powerful that any kind of change makes them just recoil in horror. And they're so angry about the idea of anything that's different. And I think that's, that creates a very vanilla sameness. And that's why a lot of the tournaments are just like so boring. Like you just feel like, Oh, all these courses are the same and all these swings are the same and all these personalities are kind of the same. And that I think long-term like hurts golf. It's like baseball's going through that huge, a huge crisis about that now where everybody either walks or hits home runs or strikes out. And so the ball's never in play. Nothing is ever like different or creative. And I feel like golf needs to really watch out and, or else that is going to like potentially happen in golf. People are just be like, Oh, why am I turning in to see the Northern trust? Like it's the same thing as, you know, the Arnold Palmer to me, like it's one sunny and one's kind of, you know, blustery and cold. That's the, um, I think that's the other thing is like, say what you will about like us open and and like one it's compelling though, because like it's athletes overcoming adversity. Yeah. It's why like the open when the weather's bad is like insanely like, it's like the best stuff to watch is because that's the stuff you remember. You remember these like great performances when, you know, the adversity is against an athlete and, and we don't have enough, uh, uh, like I, I mean frankly like the way the pga tour is set up is like how the players want it to be set up so right. there is no adversity yeah and and i mean it, how would you remember jordan if there wasn't like the flu game yeah totally and honestly like how would you remember tiger if he didn't hit it wild all the time like the fact that tiger everyone sort of thinks like tiger is like this dominant athlete but so much of that was like his ability to kind of recover from his wildness off the tee or the fact that he was just an incredible like short game player who hit these amazing shots that were wayward. Like the idea that, you know, oftentimes when someone wins now, it's because they just bomb it and then they hit it close and then they make a putt. Like it's not the, I think what made Tiger great is his ability to kind of overcome adversity that he put himself into in those situations. Yeah, I mean, the, the, if you look at, if you think about like the most famous Tiger shots of all time, not one of them is a is a bomb drive right down the middle no. of the fairway. No, and that's like what become has become of of golf highlights now. Absolutely. So it's, um, what's your uh, number three? All right, so my number three is in. I guess some of these are kind of fitting together in some ways, but I really want to see like a women's masters that like has the same kind of like tradition and like sort of 
same course every year kind of thing. And I think, let's say a course like Cypress Point or Pine Valley could really engender like a lot of goodwill if they were like, you know what? We're going to host what we think is like a women's masters. It's going to be here every year and it's going to be like appointment TV. And you're going to like this iconic course. You're going to like remember all the holes as we sort of build up history over time. Like the, the one that they play, you know, the only course where their major is the same every year is the Bob Hope one down in A and A. Yeah. The A&A, where they which jump I, in the pond. Where they jump in the pond, which <laughs> God bless Pete Dye, but that course is not that interesting at all. Like I just walked that course for four rounds with Lydia Ko this year and it ain't Cypress Point, baby. It ain't Pine <laughs> Valley. So like how much fun would it be like if one of the those clubs was like, you know what? Like we really feel like it's part of our responsibility to grow the game. We don't want any part of the PGA tour. We don't want any part of like, you know, being a part of a regular stop on the schedule. But how about a women's masters where we, you know, award like a aqua blue jacket or something, a purple jacket that's cool and we have it at Cypress Point and then everyone gets to see like what's it like to, you know, play sixteen, seventeen at Cypress with like a you know, a huge major on the line. I think that would be so fun. You know what the course is to do it at? Yeah. What? Shinnecock. Yeah, Shinnecock would be great. They have they've always been the most progressive club for women, like since yeah. its inception. You know? That's right. They did have women members, like uh, yeah. the female members, like way back in the twenties, right? I no, they had know. founding women members. Oh man, that's that's there the spot. Go. I think they held held the first U.S. Women's Open too. Nice. That that might be it. You know, just do their own tournament and uh, you know, <laughs> let let their own uh, let their own superintendent set up the course, John Jennings. <laughs> I love it. I think we're we're as someone with two daughters who both are like pretty into golf. I I'm all in on them someday getting to play the uh, the Shinnecock Masters in 2040. Yeah, it had to come up with a name. I don't know what it would be. We'll, we'll yeah. think on that. I bet some of our uh, listeners will will come up with good ones. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, my my number three is I would I would immediately change the Olympic format. Okay. My my yeah. our role as golf czar would would oversee uh-huh. the uh, we would we would supersede the IOC in this role. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. But so I I did like a little bit of research. This was really quick. It wasn't like I I just did a scan and I uh-huh. I found that there are at least thirty countries in for men's golf with three players in the top one thousand of the world rankings. Nice. Okay. So like why not have a team and individual format where you're you got three players per team and you count the top two scores each day and it's a, a team and individual competition. Because like I honestly think then you could get like really cool team upset stories. Yes. I, like Ireland beating the US or something some year. Like yeah, absolutely. Like Sweden could win. Like Henrik yes. Stenson, Alex Noren, like even you could go Italy could win. That's what makes the Olympics so fun, is that like there's those kind of team moments. Like in these people who are you know, to to me, I covered the Olympics in Beijing and the most memorable moment of that was the four by one hundred relay where Jason Lezak like ran down the I remember um, that the French guy and they all went bonkers and like Michael Phelps was a part of that but it was because he was sort of a part of a team 
And like, how much fun would that, that's where, you know, you'd get guys playing together and you get like the equivalent of essentially like the Baker's Bay buddies trip, but against, you know, the sort of crafty year. It's like a mini Ryder Cup almost in yeah. that sense. Well, that's why Ryder Cup, the Ryder Cup is so popular is because it's actually a team event where like the country unites. Like I, I thought about I we did a mail I did a mailbag pod with uh Kyle Nathan and one of the questions was like, why don't we have a team golf sport and where like where cities have players just like every other sport? Yeah. And it could be yeah. pretty cool, but like there's a lot of reason that doesn't happen. But like the Olympics should 100% have a team component to it. And oh the fact God. that yeah. they don't is like, it's just actually like alarming. Yes. It's, uh, so. This is the best idea so far, I think. It's, and it's the easiest one to implement because come on, like really you, you bring four guys and that's your team and every, everyone brings four guys. And maybe like if you're, you know, Malaysia or Thailand or whatever and, you ha- and you're really struggling to put together that fourth guy. That's okay. Maybe the fourth guy is like a an amateur, you know, a plus one a handicap or an amateur who just happens to do something super heroic. That happens in every single Olympics. You know, like here's a, here's a team. If it's three guys, India has has uh, 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 what's it? Shub Sharma, Big Sharma. Yeah, they got uh, Lahiri, and uh-huh. the, and they have the battleship. <laughs> That's right. That's I mean, right. they got SSP. <laughs> I love it. I mean, that is a good team. That team could legitimately win. Yeah. That's what a like, kind of an awesome upset would that be if they took out like Great Britain in the final or the US? Like, like Bel- Belgium has Peters, Colsarts, and uh and Dietrich. Yeah. That's a good team. You know, and that's like a team you could say over four rounds might beat, you know, uh Spieth, DJ, and uh JT. I think too that part of what you know, makes the President's Cup so boring is that it's super hard to get, you know, the international team with all those different cultures, like to sort of rally together and feel like a team. But of course, like the guys from India or the guys from Thailand or the guys from Australia, like they're going to feel a total bond, like us against them. That's, that's where you'd get that Ryder Cup feel for guys who don't normally get to be in the Ryder Cup. And so the benefit would be huge to the international squads that don't have a Ryder Cup that are used to just like pretending to have you know bonds with jason day during the um i mean like jason day and adam scott and you know uh, uh, what from you know some, uh, uh leashman yeah. yeah like why that would be such a fun team like those guys would totally like be tearing it up and enjoying it and that that team could absolutely beat any team on the, like could thump the u.s that's why i'm saying like england would have an awesome team Ireland yep. would have an awesome team. Scotland would have like if you do just three players, every team has like a, a actually shot actual shot to win. Yeah. You know, for the most part. Or do really well. Like all of a sudden, like, you know, like maybe maybe India can't win, but maybe they could get a bronze medal. Yes. Like China would have a team. Yes, they would. Marty Doe, uh uh what's his name? Uh Hao Tong Lee and uh mm-hmm. the other guy that's on the tour, uh Zhang, I think his name is. Mm-hmm. But like they got three guys right there. This this idea might be too good. We might have to just change it to abolish the President's Cup and make this the President's Cup. <laughs> there will be a way better President's Cup. It's sort of like what the um, LPG has with that the crown thing, where they have four-person teams. and you know, what, you, know. you know what the President's Cup is like? It's what? like that, that donut comparison I made where, where they say, hey, you know what? We're going to open a donut shop that's exactly the same as the Ryder Cup, except 
we have a different street address. <laughs> and we it's also like it's the equivalent of like saying like say the Ryder Cup is like I don't know like really good like New Orleans food. Yeah. It's like putting really good New Orleans food in like or trying to put in really good sort in like Minneapolis instead of like trying to like capture your own sort of thing. It's like oh let's just you know let's take all the things that uh, we think are good about this and put some of them in like really boring like environment. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's it. Uh, Yeah, so this this idea should just happen. Whoever you know, hopefully somebody's listening. Someone's listening is just going to implement this. Juan Antonio Samrock or whatever those Olympic guys, you know, rise him from the back. Who's who's in charge of the Olympics these days? I don't even know. I don't know. I I I don't know. It's a a collection of oligarchs who pulling the strings behind the scenes. I'm sure. Golf would become like one of the coolest Olympic sports. And how much would like a guy like Rory who was like I'm out on the Olympics would love to play with like you know Shane Lowry and Patrick Harrington. I guess Lowry's true Irish instead of Northern Ireland, so there'd be a debate whether whether they were separate countries. But like the Irish guys would be such a fun team. I might root for the Irish over the Americans being Irish myself. I know. You I would like I would root for like some obscure team because that's what I do. You know, I would I would I would get behind I actually I would love South Africa. I would love the team of Louis, Hot Charles, and uh, I don't know who their third would be, but I would love that team. I mean, I the, the yeah. three, three guys that really don't care about golf. Yeah. Retief might sneak onto that team, you know, uh, throw the together goo- a couple 68s in qualifying and I mean, make the South, the South African team. I mean, the combo of the Mattress King, Hot Charles, and, <laughs> and the Goose, that's next that's, level stuff. This is your nirvana. I yeah. love it. I mean, and then you could have Captain L's. Yes. Oh, my God. Captains. <laughs> we just unlocked a whole different thing of captains. Co-captains with Gary Player. Oh, my God. What? We, someone needs to pay us millions of dollars for this idea because I think we just fixed the entire Olympics. What, what would happen if, uh, if Ernie and, and Gary rode down with the team on Ernie's plane? Oh. <laughs> I can't. Oh, definitely a push-up contest that resulted in a fist fight that resulted in hugs at the yeah. end. And Louis would just be like sleeping in the back and on his <laughs> on his on his mattress that he was bringing to whatever country the Olympics was in. <laughs> Ratif, you're soft. That's why you never won more tournaments. You could have won ten majors like me. Oh man! <laughs> then you could have like the manager be Jaco Van Zyl. I don't know if you remember last Olympics. He like gave up playing. <laughs> To focus on the Olympics, he like did not play in any tournaments all summer to wow. to, to focus. Yeah, was, but uh, so my next thing, my fourth thing would be okay. uh, so I do I'd launch a program whether it's with like the USGA. I guess we would be the governing body here, where <laughs> we would take all these USGA funds and we would restore and privately manage. Uh, municipal golf courses in metro areas that are like good mm. you know like nice. so like it would be like you know you would you would go after like the historical ones like you know there's like rackham in detroit that's pretty neat mm-hmm. there's like in, in la you have rancho park and griffith park and you make mm-hmm. them really good really affordable for senior uh, for city residents but then like i always i admire the beth page tory model where you gouge out of towners but it's a really good golf course which people yep. want to go play but actually do it right, you know, and manage it right. 
have a really good superintendent and and just get it out of like municipal government's hand. Yes. I mean on this too. And my this is I'll kind of goes right into my fourth. My idea was essentially that uh it's it's similar but a little bit different. Every golf course in America needs to be open uh at least one day a month to the public and you do like a a public lottery system, but it's more like the UK model in the sense of or like if you refuse to do that then you have to pay the true tax burden of the land that you're on. So essentially, if you're LA Country Club, you, you can't sacrifice one day a month to let anybody sort of play through via a lottery system. Then you're going to pay the true property tax value of that place. You're not going to get any sort of like, you know, public use exemption when you're not actually open to the public. And the 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 value of LA Country Club's land would would be so enormous that it would be absurd for them to not say like, all right, we'll let the riffraff in for one day. Uh, a month like that way you know it's the sort of the uk model like you can play almost any course in the uk unless it's like swinley forest or something or maybe Muirfield. uh if if you like book it out long enough ahead of time or if you're part of a sort of tour or whatever and that would sort of at least say to golf all right there are no truly like snotty private places unless they're so rich that they can just sort of say yeah we're gonna go ahead and pay the, the greater tax burden and that money then goes to you know like pay for what you're talking about, like, you know, metro area courses that to, to pay for that super, to pay for the uh, the maintenance of that. Yeah, I uh, I love that idea. I uh, I think that there should be more lotteries like that and then take that, take the money, charge a green fee for that public mm-hmm. day and take mm-hmm. all that money and it goes to like junior golf programs mm-hmm. in that city or in the area. Like, who does that really hurt in the sense of like... If, the membership is was that mad and that exclusive that one day a week, like you could limit it to say you have to be a fifteen handicap or something. So and it's sort of aspirational, yeah. and you can't like you, have to, you can't win it more than once, right? And you can't grind for six hours over a round or whatever. You can't be a, you're still subject to the same. Like if you're if you're an ass, you get you you know you're throwing clubs, you're doing you know some of the stupid stuff you see on public courses. Like you're going to get the boot, and you got to dress decent you got to sort of be a part of the club but you can still be a part of the club anyone any kid any whatever who can get a usg handicap under 15 can play this course yeah i mean even make it 20 you know like there are yeah. 25 like uh handicap like i don't think that matters as much i i yep. think that yeah I, I i mean there's just so much good and and it just like it you know what it does is uh Andrew Green talked about this, the architect on my pod with him. He talked about golf IQ mm-hmm. and having golfers, the general public get to experience some of these golf courses is going to raise their golf IQ. Yes. And that is good for the overall game. Yeah. Totally agree. What's your uh, last one? My last one's pretty damn dumb, but I think, uh, I, I think that, uh, PJ guys should be able to wear shorts. I don't understand like what the at this point in the game like what the hang up is over pants, and I feel like it would make the game a little more relatable to people. You know, like what kid who grows up in West Baltimore is going to be like, oh, I, I got to wear like pants on the golf course. Like I, you know, that that seems weird to me. Like if I, I think that they should give players the options, and if Patrick Reed still wants to wear like big thick wool pants, great. But uh, I think it's time to sort of loosen that uh, sort of stuffiness and uh, and let that dress code sort of slide. Yeah, if you, if the pros can't play different equipment, 
then why why do they have to dress differently exactly yeah i agree i mean as shorts i mean they're nice like every you know everybody wants to play in shorts unless they're kind of unless it's cold and they're asked to play in pants so it's, it's funny how like when you see pros in shorts that you're so accustomed to seeing in pants how weird they oh, look yeah. it's like whoa, whoa what's What's going on? You're wearing short, you know? You always see it. Like, whenever, like, Tiger or Rory posts, like, an Instagram video of them practicing, like, they're never wearing pants. They're always wearing shorts. And so, like, the idea that somehow you're sort of forced to wear, like, a uniform. Imagine if every softball league had to wear, you know, instead of, like, sweats or whatever, you had to wear, like, an official major league uniform. That would be silly. So. <laughs> you get, like, suited up for a, for a, for a, for a Wednesday night co-ed softball league. Yes. Like looking like Tom and Zora. Like absolutely. Yeah. That's uh um my last one would be uh I'd make uh I'd I'd force match play on America. You know, Ooh. I would just I'd just shove it down their throat. <laughs> it would this would no more stroke play as like No the, at all ever? <laughs> no, no, just as like the 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 first, you know, knee jerk reaction is not stroke play. Mm-hmm. It is match play, like you you know like almost give people scorecards that mm-hmm. are like match play scorecards rather than stroke play scorecard nice okay you know like it's faster it's more fun like it's more fun like i think that golf is way better when you're not as concerned with score and you're going to yeah. shoot better scores like the other thing is like like in match play like if you're if your opponent hits it close on a on like a par 5 you know and you're standing over a shot whether you're thinking about laying up or not laying up you're going for it. Like, yep. And that's the, th- the thrill of golf. Yes. It's not I, like protecting a score. No. I had never played a single match play uh, match in my life until I was, I think, like 27 or 28. And now it's all I want to play. Like I literally, we used to, I, I go on the trip, this trip every year with um, seven other guys. And when we first started doing it, like it's a sort of Ryder Cup style thing, like those stroke the overall like stroke title was like a big deal and it was sort of what you were sort of trying to win to be like i'm the best golfer on our trip and now no one cares less could care less like it's all about match play just because match play is so much more fun like we just went to bandon this year and i posted you know a bunch of scores in the high 80s and i couldn't have like been less concerned because i was just having so much fun and it was better than the guys most of the guys i was playing with because it was windy and it was firm and it was hard and that it was such fun golf and I wasn't like mad at the end of the day because I didn't shoot in the high seventies, which is like a good round for me. I was just like thrilled to be playing golf and, and winning matches even with bogeys. Yeah, I uh I I played a I played a match last night, a nine hole match against a buddy. And like this is the other benefit of match play is like I played really lousy for mm-hmm. And I got like absolutely smoked. I was done with our match on the fifth hole. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know what I said? We got a new match the rest of the nine. Like it was over. And then, yeah. you know, I, uh, I, I ended up lifting out a putt. I lost again by one on the ninth. But, but you know what? It was another new match. And, it, and like my misery ended. You know? Yeah. I was like four down and I almost purposely lost the last hole. Yeah. So, well, imagine like you you know. So imagine you that same you play the the equivalent of playing poorly, and it's a stroke play thing, and you make a nine on the first hole. Like then you have eight holes of misery of like you're just yeah. pissed because you're like, oh, I just. But in the end, like you make a nine in match play, you're like, well, I'm one down. Yeah, Good. it's 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 so much more fun. It's uh-huh. so much better. 
than stroke play. I don't know. I think that would have to go into the earlier thing with more formats, more match play. Yes. Because that that sets the example. Yes. All right. I love it. Golf. I think we solved all of golf problems. Yeah. There's. It's. It's over. I'm. I'm. I'm, I mean, we'll see. I think this. uh, The Olympic one is. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. I. I, The Hickory one's good too. I don't know. They're all. They're all good. Hopefully, somebody important's listening. Well, I'm. I'm just thrilled that I finally made it uh, onto the Friday podcast. Oh yeah. You want to? uh, What? What do you got uh, going for PGA? You're going down to uh, St. Louis. Going down to St. Louis. no idea who to pick other than probably DJ, because uh, why not? That's there's like a probably a forty percent chance that I'm right. Um, Rory could and, win. Yeah, good. Uh, what if Rory has like eleven PGAs? That would be great. Yeah, it's just the PGA should go back to match play. Ooh, real now there's talk. a killer idea. A totally identity, a different identity. Yeah. I love it. An actual identity. Oh my goodness! They wow. should be. They should go like Western AM style. Where or maybe not full, but go uh, USAM style. Like do yeah. thirty six holes of qualifying, top thirty two go into match play. Boom! Wow, you that know, would be great. People that, will, think of the drama. That would be so much fun. You, you know, people will rebut with like, "Well, Sunday will be a real dull Sunday with just two guys on the golf course." But you know, most PGA Sundays are already dull. This is true, and also like two guys on the golf course. It would be over in five hours. You wouldn't have to watch ten hours of golf to five hours. Yeah, four. <laughs> well, hopefully five. <laughs> I hope it would be done in five. <laughs> I mean, what if it was like speed versus day, like in like it was a whistling? That was I was I walked that. I think that was a five and a half hour round, and they basically just ran away with it. You know so. that the average round at 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 uh, Whistling Straits is like six hours. For the public. That is, just insane i i think wasn't you that said that the like midway through the summer the caddies there will say that they might not see a guy break 90 all year yeah Yeah. (laughs) oi i mean it's uh that that's a that's a major problem it's but uh uh we gotta we gotta get you to do some uh overrated underrated i gotta come up with some off the top of my head here all right all right um Let's say uh, (laughs) overrated, underrated. um, Let's do Firestone. Firestone. I mean, I would say that it's been overrated for most of its existence. Uh, The only thing that makes it interesting is the Tigers won there so many times. But I feel like... Yeah, I'm just probably going to stick with that. Like, I would say overrated. I, I mean, I could qualify it by saying that, like, most people think it's most people of our ilk think it's totally boring. Uh, but you know, we're not the majority. We're sort of the the silent cynics out there. Sean Martin asked me a good one. I, I'm going to agree with your Firestone, but Sean Martin asked me a good one: overrated, underrated putting. Yeah, I mean. I did. I saw this exchange, uh, and um, and you made a good point in that, like, that's what like ball striking is what gets you into contention, and putting is what's going to win. I, I would say it's probably overrated because of the idea of like you know drive for show, putt for dough. Like most people, it's like Rory's clearly 
you know, a generational player, a Hall of Fame player, and he's at best like an average putter. So the fact that if you're just an average putter and a great ball striker, you're going to give yourself enough chances that you're going to run in three or four 12-footers and you're going to win. So overrated. Putting's overrated. Yeah. All right. I disagree. <laughs> disagree. Underrated. Yeah. I, I this Make come sure. this comes from somebody that this putter has cost him numerous uh, good rounds <laughs> in his life. So na- right. naturally, I'm a person that thinks it's underrated. Um, okay. All right. Uh, you know, this is a this is a type of question that you know I've asked a few times that has gotten always responsive. I don't know anything about that. What about Pink Floyd? Pink Floyd. <laughs> um, I have always felt that Pink Floyd was a little overrated. I, you know, I never quite understood the people who were like super into Pink Floyd. Now, I, I will admit, like, I grew up in Montana where a lot of really bad country music just sort of like permeated culture. So it took a long time for me to kind of escape the morass of bad like uh, country music. But the only other, so there was basically like two radio stations that worked growing up in, in Missoula, Montana. And one was a classic rock station that played Pink Floyd all the time and like Rod Stewart. And the other was, you know, a bad country station. And so it was really like, it was a lose, lose choice for me, but I always ended up choosing country. Maybe I should give Pink Floyd another chance. Maybe I should, uh, queue up, uh, I'm surprised Claus and put on dark side of the moon. Sync them up. I'm surprised Pink Floyd wasn't touring in Montana. <laughs> I well, they should have. Montana's lovely. Big I mean, sky. Now, like all the all those big like musicians and stars, they all like come to Montana and live. And Justin Timberlake like thinks of himself as like a pseudo Montanan, even though he. They were asking him. I saw like in some interview. Oh, what's your favorite uh, bourbon to drink? And he's like, oh. I really love, uh, you know, the Montana bourbons like, uh, like Maker's Mark and, you know, <laughs> some just, like this is a kid who grew up in Tennessee. He doesn't understand that like they actually make, you know, bourbons in Kentucky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Blands. That's what it was. He said Blands, which is a total like Kentucky, uh, a, a real genuine, like well appreciated Kentucky bourbon. He somehow was under the impression that was a Montana bourbon. Maybe that's the only place he's had it. It's pretty, you know, it's hard. It's hard to find Blantons nowadays. That is true. That is true. The little horse on top. You yeah. Know, it's, uh, you, you get when you see one, you got to buy it. Oh, you got to snatch it right up. Yeah. I, I feel like I should be Justin Timberlake's like bourbon czar. Yeah, so. it might be an open position on the website. I'd go check Remember out Justin his website. Timberlake was gonna like save golf. Is like his him buying a like a golf course and like participating in the celeb am was gonna like get young people involved. Hey. That seemed like a very like short sighted plan. Steph Curry's doing that for the web dot com tour. Steph Curry is. Yeah. yeah. Well, how about Steph Curry, overrated, underrated. Oh man, you know what? I think it's yeah. it's overrated. Overrated. Okay. Like I just don't think like. uh I don't know. I mean, I just whatever. He's gonna shoot one forty nine. It's mm-hmm. like, and then the web dot com tour social media is gonna push out like remember when tweets all year and <laughs> and like for two days golf is gonna be relevant while he's doing it on like the national stage. But I mean, I think it would be way more effective if like. You know, you got Steph Curry and and some title sponsor to do like 
like a golf camp for you yeah. know inner city kids like that yeah. would have an impact him playing at a web.com event yeah 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 overrated yeah yeah i mean people are gonna go out and like you do see crowds come out and watch that stuff but like the long-term impact of it is like totally non-existent it's like this like- this idea of chasing impressions Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, this generated so much buzz, but it's just empty buzz. Oh, know? totally. And that, that would segue me into my definite overrated, which is like trying to create like memes out of like golf content of like on social. Like I, I was, I saw this thing the other day where uh, I think the PGA Tour social team like tried to make some sort of like Stranger Things meme out of like Sergio hitting out of a bunker, and so they like. I don't know if you watch Stranger Things on yeah. Netflix. Oh like, yeah, they they did like the weird thing when like the monster sort of you know turns the lights out and makes it all weird. And and I was like, who who like thought this was a clever idea? This is horrible. Like this is really truly like it's like that picture of Steve Buscemi like with a skateboard over his shoulder, being like, "How are you doing, fellow kids?" Like even if someone you know, like in their twenties made that content, that was truly awful. And so that there's so much of that in the golf social media world. It's uh it's really hard to be funny. Yes. You know, and especially it's really hard to be funny for like a long period of time. Yes. Which is like why you have to really respect like club pro guy, no laying up, yes. like for their humor capability. Well, they also know how to pick their spots. Like they're yes. not like like shotgun blasting you with 40 tweets a day of like you know here's some cheeky animal memes and 100 percent, it is just empty empty calories in terms of like oh we got a million views of you know stuff no like no one is interested in that like anyone who like saw you know billy horschel's or no who was it that smacked the gator and like put it back into the oh uh, the uh, cody gribble Cody Gribble. <laughs> so like the gator, like snagging the gator, that must have been like the greatest day in like PGA Tour social history or like the, you know, and everyone, so everyone is chasing like some sort of animal. Well, the thing about that is it organically happened. Yes. And like yes. that is why it was so great. It's like, you know that they're in a meeting somewhere. Someone's like, we should release a gator out of the course. To try to recreate that moment. <laughs> I think, I think this year they had like Cody Gribble, like try and recreate it. It's like, no, this doesn't work. You're beating, you're killing it. It's like, here's my it, least favorite one though, is that you see this every single week of like, so it was such and such player gets it. We made this kid's day or it's like some little kid who signing an autograph or handing him a ball. And it's like this really, kind of maudlin like yeah this guy he gets it he knows what's <laughs> up and like sometimes i see players who are doing it and having dealt with them media wise i know that they're kind of dicks and so the idea that like the tour is like yeah this guy gets it i'm like no this guy is kind of really like a pain in the butt to deal with it's uh yeah i i, I this could be a conversation for a, for another time you know <laughs> Could have a whole podcast on fixing uh, uh, social media accounts oh, across God. golf. So a virtual reality, yeah. the, the air. The, the, some, what is it? That some, some people might say that me and you are terrible at social media too. They might. So. They might. I've had friends say that to me at some point. But yeah, uh, yeah I think 
you know, wait till they they read the wait till they listen to this ninety minute podcast. Yeah. Change their mind. <laughs> if they make it to the end of this, then <laughs> good on you. My favorite thing is like if you want to hide a secret from the world, the best place it, to say it is at the end of a podcast. One <laughs> percent of people might listen to it at the end. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny though. Like a lot of times, I'll say something at the end, and then I'll get like a ton of emails from people like, "Hey, what what, what can you tell me more about what you said?" <laughs> All right. All right, but uh, hey, pleasure. We'll get, we'll do it again. You know, now right. that you've been, you've been on. You know, it's uh, you're, you're a busy guy though. You know. Uh, well, I'm, uh, I'm always committing time for the Friday. Yeah. So, so uh, follow you on, uh, on Twitter. I don't know what your handle is. K Van Valkenburg. K Van Valkenburg. You got a nice little blue check mark. You know. I, I, yeah, ready to throw some, some memes out there about kids who get it, players who get it. I'll, you'll see me all PGA tweeting, tweeting out the content. Yeah, you should you should get just looks of disgust from players' <laughs> pictures of them after they hit a bad shot. This guy gets it. <laughs> I think that's the new hashtag. It would be great. Golf, like live under par. Golf is, is hard. Players looking pissed yeah. and being like, this guy gets it. Golf is hard. <laughs> if if Monday was a golf, if if, if, uh, if it was a golf shot. <laughs> All right. Well, all right, man. Talk to you soon. That's good. You've been listening to the Fried Egg Podcast. We do the digging for you.